morning, everybody. Um, and uh, you will hear that I speak, I come from the same culture as Vesi, Armana, Stefan, as Lombard. And, uh, but it's a great privilege to be here. And uh, I want to thank the elders, Clive and uh, Janku and, and Vesi uh, and the team uh, for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Uh, this is not my first time here. Uh, I've been here in December normally, and I think then many of you have been on, on holiday, so it feels like a second, a second family. So if I use the word we a few times, it's not accidental. Uh, it is uh, it's how I feel about, about this wonderful church, King City Church. And I'm not saying it to make Vesi feel good. Uh, I really love coming here. And it's probably the fifth or sixth or seventh time, uh, and probably 10, 15 times been in Bulawayo. And uh, thank you for the elders, for the, for the privilege to be, to be able to share uh, this morning. And uh, please pray for us as an eldership team. Three of our eldership couples are actually Zumbos. Um, <laughs> and, um, and the Meekles, the Meekles are one of those. If you hear the surname Meekle, do you think that's from Zim or Zambia? Exactly. So Chris and Audrey uh, planted the congregation with us uh, 11 years ago. They were there from the beginning and, and uh, despite us, uh, they're still there. Uh, Chris went to a girls' school called Plumtree. I don't know if you've heard of the school. There's a Plumtree. There's a school there called Plumtree. Um, and I know in Zimbabwe it's important to mention where he comes from because then you can grade him and you can decide. So they're also on our eldership team and we're working through things with him because of the fact that he comes from Plumtree. Um, if some of you come from Plumtree and you're not offended with me, this is a wonderful opportunity to ask God uh, for forgiveness. And, um, and please forgive me. And, uh, and so I was not, I'm not from Zimbabwe, so you don't have to know which school I'm from. Um, so, um, so this morning, uh, I want to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. And, and I'm not passionate about it because uh, I lead one as well, but I'm passionate about the local church. And honestly, if you let me loose, I can speak for hours and hours of the beauty of the local church. Now, Vesey has only given me an hour and a half, and I'm sure that I will keep it a little bit shorter. But I want to speak this morning about the local church. And it all started long, long ago in a faraway land where a couple stayed. They were vegetarians, so we know from the scriptures that they were not Southern Africans. And they were vegetarians, and they just ate veggies all day long. And they didn't need irrigation, so we knew they were not farmers. There was no rain, and irrigation was just automatic. And uh, they lived, and, and they found their identity, and they found their meaning in their Creator, lived in a, in a, in a, perfect, in a, in a perfect world where they, where they trusted their Creator to know what's best for them. And it was such a beautiful environment to, to also live in the fact that they lived under the shadow of the Almighty, knew that He knew what is best for them. However, they were created to be dependent, even before the fall. They were created to need help from, from within or from outside. They were never created to be independent. They were never created to just depend on themselves. And they had this perfect relationship with the Creator because they trusted the Creator to know the best for them. But however, what happened then is they had an apple. We don't know the color of the apple, but it was an apple. That is no real scripture. It's a fruit. But they ate an apple. And they committed, they committed what I call idolatry. 
which means is they found value, they found importance, they found greatness, they found weightiness, glory, and something outside of their Creator. And they made much of this, this self self or self-created God and we, and we call it idolatry and suddenly they move from being under the cover of this creator and now they needed cover. That's why they needed a fig, a fig leaf. And suddenly they moved from under this cover and this perfect relationship with this creator that knew the best for them was broken. And there was this eternal separation from God. However, this creator that created this couple um, knew what was coming. He, he wasn't caught by surprise. He had a plan. And part of his, part of his plan was to come and redeem, was come to rescue his people from themselves. So he wasn't surprised at all. And, he, and, he, and, and, what, he, and what he does is he sent his son. But before he sent his son, he created the people through which he wanted to display the glory of his son for these people to, create, to represent him to the nations around them. So, so he created this nation called Israel. And somehow they never sort of got it right and they always went back to their old way. And then all their actions, and when we look at Old, old Testament scripture, we, uh, through the scriptures in the Old Testament, we can see this picture of, there's some things that are getting right, but there's, there's something missing. And the whole time it's pointing, it's pointing to something greater and more marvelous and more amazing to come. And suddenly on, on the horizon of, of, of eternity in, par, in the past, Jesus appears. God the Father had this plan and He sent His Son to live the life that you and I can't live. And to die a death you should have died. And he had this rescue plan. Isn't that amazing? That's where we go, woo-hoo, that's what we should do. And see, he's calling his people, he's calling his people back to him. And he sent his son to die. And we know the story. And this is the story of Jesus. Creation, fall, redemption, redemption, restoration. There's the story of God in four words. And so he, he sends his son that humbles himself to live the life that you and I can't live. And ultimately, ultimately, he, he, he inaugurates this kingdom that you and I are called to live in so that, so that we, we can live in this, this kingdom that has come but has not yet come in its fullness so that one day all things can be restored, all things in heaven and earth can be restored like it used to be. And what he, what he gave you and me there's this amazing thing called the gospel, which I think we often oversimplify. We often think the gospel means Jesus died for my sin. Amen. But the gospel and the news of Jesus and what he did for us is this, or the whole story of what Jesus has done and what he's done on the cross for us is the gospel. So he, the message of this kingdom, the message of this kingdom that you and I, if we follow us of Jesus, that we live in is called, is, is called the kingdom and this kingdom and the message and the message of this kingdom is the gospel. And what this gospel is saying is that you and I, our, our condition is bad. We're in a bad condition. That's our default. Unless we walk, we, we allow Christ to live through us. So you and I are worse than we think we are. And I want to say to you this morning, if you, the, the, if you don't realize that, you're not going to understand the gospel. Because one thing I can tell you what, 
You're standing here and you're ready. You're judging me. Don't worry, relax. You're judging me this idea. I said, we're listening to him to the end. It is something, oh, he must have been, he must have had an amazing theological degree. And he must have had lots of training and he's done this for monkey. Well, maybe I'm not saying that you're thinking that. You might be thinking that. But if I start telling you how unqualified I am, naturally, you're going to say, oh, I want to hear. When I say to you where I come from, I'm not going to spend time on me. And you start hearing my background, you hear that, oh, what? Him? Round, ugly, old. You're not supposed to laugh there. And suddenly you want to hear, and that's what it is. The gospel is, 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 is this level playing ground where we know we, we're worse than we can ever imagine. But at the same time, at the same time, we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Because He loves us despite our condition. And that's the gospel. And then we, and then we introduce in the story of God of this amazing method, this, this way He's given us to, 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 to speak this gospel truth. The saturation of the gospel. When we saturate it with gospel truth, how do we how do we share this? And he gave us this amazing, simple way of doing it. And Vesey alluded to it early on, called the discipleship. In other words, what he's saying is this: We're all in the A team. We're all in the A team. There's no B team. You're in the A-team, I'm in the A-team. I'm only standing on the stage because I'm not tall enough. But in a way, you should be sitting on the stage and I should be standing here. Because my job is to equip you. And he, and he calls all of us to be in the A-team. And that's His way. His way is all of us. As, as, as in the fancy word the Bible uses, priesthood of all believers. But all of us. I don't care where you come from. I don't know. I don't care how much scripture knowledge you have. I don't care if you're a Christian for six, six seconds. You have something to share. If you've only read Mark 1, you can share Mark 1 while you read Mark 2. Yes. We need to lose this notion that I need to be a professional. I need to know all the verses and quote them like this. The verses are not divinely inspired by the way the Bible is. Verses came later, 1300s. And then, this is where I want to spend most of my time this morning. Then what he did, like he did in Old Testament, he had a people that he wanted to display his glory through. And now as we live and we find ourselves in the new covenant, we find ourselves in the new, uh, he's, he's created his people. This people through which He wants to display His glory, through which He wants to display His message. His message of good news to you and I. Not good advice, good news. Good news that means it's done already. And we live from that place that it's done already. We're not living, we're not moving towards a place where it still has to be done. I know we know this. Vesey told me you're smart guys here. So I know you know this. I'm just you know, giving you a bit of a summary. So, he, so what he does is he created this beautiful thing called the church. And, I want to, and I'm not going to spend time there. The church is not just this nebulous, invisible bunch of people all over the world and they're just hanging around. That's the church. The church is this 
worldwide body of followers of Jesus, but it's always expressed in local church. Localized leaders. So now you can't be in the church by just hanging in front of your TV and not being part of a local expression. And I, I'm not going to spend time there. And this is what he does. He, he creates this beautiful thing, the body. And the body is, means it, an expression of his love. And so often I've heard people say that I love God, but I struggle with the love people part. I want to say to you, they go together. To know him and to make him known goes together. It's not to know him. Once we've got it settled, then we go for to make him known part. It goes together. We cannot but not do the to make him known if we don't know him. So to love God and to love people goes together. You can't tell me you love God and you say, well, I don't love people very much. No, I don't understand. Explain to me. I don't get it. I don't get it. Please explain to me how you love God without loving people. So he chooses the church, and this is what he says about the church in Ephesians 3.10, and you all know this. And it says, in Ephesians 3 verse 10, it says, God chose, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, to display his wisdom. And he is the, the, uh, he is the, he is the summary of wisdom. He is wisdom himself. To display his wisdom and its rich variety. And that's speaking about all of us. There's variety here. There's different colors and shapes here. Different sizes. Displays wisdom and it's always for rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. It's like, ooh, didn't see that apple coming. It's like the church is a surprise. It's like plan B. No, it was plan A. There's no other plan. God's got plan A's. You are plan A. If you're part of this local church, you are plan A. He says, this was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just want to mention this. For those of, of us that might have through the years think that the gathering of all believers like this. And I'm not going to go to the Hebrew scripture. The scripture we think like, this, is, this gathering is huge. Wherever God's people gather, Sunday is part of it, in the week is part of it, wherever God's people is coming together is not a suggestion. It's a matter of life and death. Because I see this in Proverbs 18 verse 1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, do you notice? It sort of goes back there in the Garden of Eden, vegetarians. Goes back there where, where, where we go back to this place where we want to isolate ourselves and not surround ourselves with a community of all shapes and sizes and places and where they find themselves. We want to do that. We don't want to isolate ourselves. What does it say here? We seek our own desire. Sounds a bit like, I don't want to find meaning in Christ. I want to find meaning for myself. I want to eat the tree of the, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. That is... That in another way is saying, I want to find God for myself. I want to create God in the image of myself. I want meaning. That's why many of us here, most of the questions we ask every day is, what's the purpose of this? Why are you doing this, Lord? Because we're meaning seekers. We want meaning. But we're not called to find meaning on ourselves, in ourselves on our own. 
in community. And I want to take us now to Colossians 3.12, and I know you as a church are going through the book of Colossians, or maybe you've passed this or you're still getting to it. I don't know. Colossians 3 verse 12 says the following. Just follow with me, and it's, and it's uh, I'm reading it, yeah, reading from verse 12, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people, which means the people, that's you and me, separated for Him. That's what it means. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourself, speaking to us. That's what He's saying to you and I, the church. We must clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy. What does it mean? It means basically this. It means you should sometimes, when somebody deserves it, you should withhold what they deserve. Because mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Grace means you get what you don't deserve. So clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercies, kindness, humility. Humility speaks of a, a dependency. It says, I, can't, I can, but you can't. I can't, but you can. It's not me, it's you. That's what humility speaks of. Us. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That gift that all of us have so much of. Patience speaks of, lack of patience speaks of your kingdom at war with another kingdom. And your kingdom needs to win. Patience. And then it goes on in verse 13. It says, make allowance. Man, I wish this wasn't in Scripture. Make allowance. And there's many places in Scripture where it talks about it as well. Make allowance for each other's faults. Yes, it includes your wife and your husband. You know the fact that he doesn't bring you coffee. Make allowance for these other's faults. Yeah, but money is deaf. When is he going to get over this fault? Make allowance for each other's fault. And forgive anyone who offends you. So we don't have a right to be offended. I don't, where does this come from? The right to be offended, the right to not to forgive. We don't have a right to, be, to not to forgive, to live in a place of, oh no, I don't know, it's not my style. Maybe next year. So you must forgive others. So it says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Then it says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive. So it's not, hey, you better forgive. No, it goes like this. In the light of that He has forgiven, that's what's called the gospel. The gospel working through, and, through you and I. It's done for you. In the light of He's done it, that's how the, many of the letters are written. When you read Ephesians, many of these books, it's, it, in the beginning it normally tells us what He's done, God. And then it says, in the light of what he's done, now you need to do. Which means he's given you the authority. Which means he's, he, he, God never tells us, go and do this. Hope it works. Fisi spoke earlier on. He spoke about Matthew 28, 20. And he says, I will always be with you. And I have given you authority. Therefore, he never says, go do it. Jeez, hope it works out. And this is what the gospel is talking about. He says, in the light of what he's done, he's forgiven you. You and I also need to forgive. Then it goes on in verse 14. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Now, we're not talking about February the 14th. We're not talking about, oh, I just love you. I can't even make it. It's like a new thing, like this. This is what love means. Love means you before me. Because that's the agape love it's talking about there. It's, talking about, it's not talking about the, the, that one. You know when you see the babe, the boki. That's not the one it's speaking about. 
It would be wonderful if all of us could feel like that towards each other. It's like, oh, there come my brother in Christ. <laughs> Love means you before me. Lust means me before you. And so that's what it means when it talks about love. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Wear love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And you and I can live from a place where it's your kingdom before my kingdom. Because we have all kingdoms. That's where we get angry. It's another name for the outworking of, of anger. the outworking of your kingdom needs to win. And it's not winning at that moment. That's why you get angry. Oh, we've got other words for it. We call it, I'm a bit annoyed. I'm just a bit uncomfortable with how they talk. Uh, I'm irritated. I don't know, a few other euphemisms. And then it says in verse 16, it says, let the message about Christ, speaking about us, the need of us being saturated with gospel truth, understanding, and this lady this morning was talking about it, the fact that we need to, we need to understand the word and we need to fill ourselves with gospel truth and we need to go beyond little verses that we remember for every little toothache we have. It's like a oh, little verse for fear, a little verse for that. The Bible is not a manual primary, but the Bible is how we should live. The Bible is a story of God interacting with mankind. The gospel is how should we live. It's more than a little Bible verse. So we need to saturate that with the gospel so that we can be gospel fluent. And in every situation, in every moment where we challenge, that we feel challenged, that we were able to speak the truth of the gospel into that situation. So that's what it's talking about. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then it goes on and it says, like this part. And by the way, when, when things are written in Scripture, and it's first this and then this and then this, there's a reason. It's not, oh, look, just quickly put that in there. There's a reason it follows in order. Then it says, teach and counsel each other. Yeah, it's talking about you. Not talking about professional counselors. They're valuable, but they're valuable when it's so complicated, maybe we don't have all these things and they've been qualified in the area, but it's talking about us. All of us, it says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He's given us. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Is ambassador, that's what it's saying. Representing the King in His kingdom and giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So in other words, what it's saying there is, you and I call to counsel people. In our church, we don't use the word counsel, counselor. Because I don't see, this, I don't see it in Scripture. I see, I see the Holy Spirit called the counselor. So what I'm called to this disciple, when you're going through trouble, I'm discipling you. When you go through marriage counseling, it's not cou marriage counseling, you're going through marriage discipleship actually. So when you're in a big crisis, it's called specialized discipleship. If you're going through serious trouble, it's called reactionary discipleship, but it's discipleship. Because what do I want to, why is it discipleship? What's discipleship about? Discipleship is to disciple somebody to become like Christ. To disciple him to be a follower of Jesus. So what do I want to do if you've got marriage problems? I want you to see Christ in it. I want you to become like him because if you come like him, your marriage problems are sorted. Bottom line is if you've got marriage problems and you see the gospel as it really is, you will not have marriage problems. They will automatically disappear. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, sorry, but fortunately, but I have had a married couple in front of us and they talk, and it's like, it's him, and it's him, and it's her, and it's like, he's, oh, he sucks, he sucks. And I started off, and I looked at them, and I started with this. 
And I know you're never going to come to me after you hear this. And I said to them, I said to them, I just want to tell you, you're worse than you think you are. I said, yeah. Because unless you understand how bad your own condition is, you're not going to give him any slack. Because you think you're moral high ground. He's like, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as him. Because that's what we do. We walk around and say, oh, I'm such a bad Christian. Oh, fortunately, I see Kilton. I'm, I think I'm a bad. No, I'm not too bad. I mean, there's Kilton in you. That's not true. And see, we struggle. What we also struggle, we struggle. We struggle to speak the truth to one another. We struggle to counsel one another. It's difficult. It's like, no, let's send them to the professional. Let them go there. So if I have a problem, I'm you. I've been conditioned to believe that they can't help me because it seems like they don't want to help me. So I run to a professional, fix me, fix me, give me all the stuff, and we come back. But a poor professional, the professional doesn't know your, your, your background. The poor professional doesn't see your relationships. The poor professional doesn't see your real life. So the only thing they can do is tell you back what you've told them. One-sided story. No wonder it's not as effective as this. This is a counseling center, if I may use the word so that you understand what I mean. This is where it needs to happen. But you know, I think we struggle to do this. Why? Why do we struggle to speak truth into one another's life? Why do we struggle to say, hey, pick me. I can help. I don't know much, but I'll help you with the little I know. Our failure to speak truth to one another biblically is rooted in our tendency to run after God replacements. Because we love something else more than God. We fail to confront not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves and our reputation too much. What if I speak to Clive and I get it wrong? Oh, that's the reputation again. What if I speak truth to you and it's, what? Where does that come from? It's like, I hope nobody finds out. That's your reputation again. We are afraid of what others will think of us. We do not find the relationship easy because that's the bottom line. Anyone who put up their hand and says, I don't have any problem with confrontations. Don't put up your hand because I might call you a liar from the stage. <laughs> Some find it maybe easier because they have grown maybe in the gospel understanding, but nobody of us like confrontation. We don't like to say to somebody else, I think you're wrong. Now, some of us think it's a spiritual gift. Because then if somebody else tells us back we're wrong, it's like, oh, no. Okay, maybe I'm going to stop. Ah, no. See, we do not find the relationship easy because others compete with us for glory. Because we are glory thieves. We're glory, we, we, we glory seekers. Actually, deep inside, beneath it all, we want to be our own gods. There we go again. Back to, back to the vegetarian state. See, we want to be our own gods, revealing to ourselves um, revealing to ourselves all the truth we need. I don't need you. I just need a book. It's me and God. Where is that? It's just me and God. No, it's me and God through people. No, I'll just read a book. No, you won't. The book won't help you. The book is written by a purple person. I just want to tell you, there's limitations to how much that book can help you outside of the Bible now. See, truth is not spoken in love. It ceases to be truth. So truth not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it is twisted by other human agendas, yours and mine. Because we have an agenda. And see, love is not guided by truth. 
who is not, sorry, love that is not guided by truth, cease to be loved because it's divorced from God's agenda. You see, we've confused this thing of, of saying, no, nah, but you know, I just don't want to, I don't know if I can share that with him. Because, you know, I'm, I'm saying, you know, there's some nice people here. God's never called you to be nice. He's called you to love. And some of us, if we're honest, we're nicer than Jesus. And I don't think Jesus was nice. Jesus loved. He loved. And by the way, Jesus wasn't fair either. God's just. He's not fair because fair is subjective. And see, I believe that we are called to be a people, the church. That will be a counseling center, discipleship center, if I may use those words. That will continuously be having a posture of speaking the truth to one another. To be able to, 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 to reveal who we are and the struggles we have and help one another. And I'll help you and you help me. And I'm telling you, you can go through the deepest struggle in your life. You can still help somebody. You are made to help. That's how you why You're made in the image of God. You cannot but... Who doesn't like it when I say, man, anyone help me with this? And you have the answer and you sit there, no, I'm not going to tell them. Let's take away the fact that you're now insecure and all sorts of things. But who doesn't want to help anyone with especially something they've learned? We make like this. See, you and I am insufficient in our own. We need one another so much. And if, and if we get this whole thing of discipleship, of we being in counseling center, uh, it will change the way we see the world. See, we were created with a need for community, spiritual community like this. In other words, we were created for community like this so that we can really see and know ourselves. And you know what I've learned? Because our church is quite a, quite a multicultural church. Black people, white people, 70% black people, 30% white people. You know what I've learned? Once you are engaged in a multicultural community, you are spoiled for life. Because my black friends are showing me aspects of God I've never seen as a whitey. Because my whiteies, they very much the truth. My black friends have shown me honor. And some of my whiteies are not saying, but they are opposed to each other. No, they're not. They intention. And somehow, through, through engaging my different cultural friends, I'm seeing a beauty in God. I see that I'm becoming more sanctified. I see that when I get angry because my black brothers are late, that my anger is much a sin as my black brothers is late coming is maybe a sin. Whew. Don't worry, I'm not trying to generalize. No, I'm not going to speak on race. Relax. I'm just saying. We, 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 we don't have the ability to see ourselves as we really are because we're blinded. We have blind spots. That's why it's called blind. And I need you and me. I need you and you need me to show you our blind spots. Effective biblical confrontation often begins before we speak. What we need to understand is that the church is a place where flawed people gather to know Him and to make Him known where they learn to love others as He has designed them. The church is messy and inefficient, just in case you were wondering. It's supposed to be. And, it is, and it's a wonderful mess that God has created where He radically transforms hearts and lives. 
We never created to be our own source of wisdom. Listen to what promise, and I'm not going to put it all up. I'm just going to read it like this. In the scriptures, you can get it from you afterwards. A fool, according to Proverbs, is convinced he is right. Proverbs 12. Spurns discipline and correction. You pick up the our community is the antidote to that, to all these things. Delights in airing his own opinions. That's scripture. I'm not my own, it's not my own opinion. That's scripture. Delights in airing his own opinions. Is quick. That's what, a, that's what the scripture call a fool. Is quick to quarrel. Scorns wisdom. Is wise in his own eyes. Trusts in himself. And I've deleted a few. There's a few more. What we've done is we've replaced love on our relationship with being nice. And it's not the same thing. And I want you to go away this morning, hopefully forgetting my name, but remembering this, that you're in the 18. And if we understand the power of the gospel, we can do it. Yes, you can. We just have to get ourselves out of the way. Because by nature, we're self-centered. I mean, you, you want me to help with you? If any of you are struggling with any relationship, here's the answer. Simple. Self-centeredness. And see, to deal with many of the challenges we face is that we shouldn't, some of us think too much of ourselves. And the answer is not to think less of yourself. Did you know that? And some of us think too little of ourselves. And you know that the answer is not to think more of yourself. So when you, the answer when somebody says to you, oh, you know, poor me, the answer is not to say, no, you're actually amazing. The real answer is you need to think less often of yourself in both cases. Because both cases is actually a byproduct of pride. A, by, a byproduct of your glory that wants to just display itself for all to see. And when you, oh, goes like poor me, I don't do to nothing, it's because you, you actually want that glory and you're not getting it. So I want to leave you with these questions. It says, why do you, you and I, why do you avoid confrontation with others? Have you just think for two seconds. Why do you really, what is it? What is it that you can maybe do different from this morning one of them that, it, that is sort of avoiding you to confront others? I want to tell you, I've led a church for 11 years now. I actually find confrontation not that stressful. No, that's not quite true. Um, I'm getting used to confronting people. And you know, often, it's happened in the past where I've had quite a few interesting conversations with people with a spiritual gift of criticism, etc., etc. And uh, after a period of that, I want to go, and uh, there's another challenge we're facing, and I'm going, I need to go and speak to them now. No, no, no. And you know what I do? I sin, because I just abdicate. I just say, no, no. I just leave them. Just leave them. It's like I'm just tired of confrontation. Actually, it's all about my glory. It's actually all about me. And of course, there is an important thing of how we do it. It's like, how's it? What's your problem, Clive? I mean, I already have a very angry brow. I have to be very careful with my face management. When is the last time you, you have confronted somebody? Or even nicer, somebody has challenged you. 
till you have a little snolly in your nose or your zip is down. How did you receive this challenge when somebody said to you, can I speak to you? When the opening statement is, you know I love you, you know it's coming. Can we go for a cappuccino? As a cappuccino with, with fine print. If you, if you, if you, my black friends, I know that could not always be cappuccino, maybe it's tea or whatever, but you know, it's tea with a fine print. When asked, how did you receive this challenge? If you say, oh, I loved it. Don't put your hand up. I want to call you a liar. Last time you confronted someone else, what did you do well when you confronted somebody? What could you have done more effectively and more lovingly? And just so that we know, we love to say, no, you sandwich better. Say something nice, say the bad in the middle and say something nice at the end again. Now that's a Western way. Because I'm telling you, when you tell, when mostly I'm generalizing, if you tell my black brothers, you criticize them in front of other people, you break the honor culture and you mess it up. I don't care how much beauty in the front, rubbish in the middle, bad in the end, you do it differently. You don't actually correct generally in front of everybody sitting like this. So the sandwich is not biblical, it's just a Western way of doing it helpful when you confront and challenge somebody else whose agenda drives your conversations is it because you love them and you want them to become more like Jesus or do you want them to become more like you because obviously we see the world and of course you see the world clearer than anyone else I mean if people can just see the world I see it the world will be a better place and there's are some of us that sitting here and saying yeah that's me don't put your hands up and see that's what we're called to be. But, but see, King City Church exists to know Him and to make Him known. But what we need to understand is it's not just a, a mushy bunch of people just coming together and say, Hey buddy, there's a snolly. Okay, Marnie, there's a snolly. There's much more to it. It's we, we don't exist for, the, for our own benefit. And yes, we need to be a people that become more like Him and display in this too. But there's much more. And see, like, like any family, God, King City Church needs fathers. They need people to lead them. Because it can't be just a mushy bunch of guys come together. We all dance, we sing, Come, bind us together, Lord, bind us together. One of my non-favorite songs. It's much more. Like all families, it needs, it needs spiritual fathers needs fathers and see a spiritual community needs the same as a family that needs a father that leads it and at King City for King City Church to continue to continue amp impacting their community and you being impacted when when you gather as the spiritual community for you to continue impacting your city for you to, con to like this continue to impact impacting this uh, the cities beyond the nation the nations beyond. For you to continue doing that, you need more spiritual fathers. It's how it works. You need more, you need more leaders. Would you agree with me? We can't just stay and say, snolly, snolly, snolly. And okay, maybe I other stuff as well, I know. I see, King City Church, I believe that King City Church, you are already having a great impact, I believe, in this community, in this city, in the city beyond, uh, in this 
the cities beyond the city, in the nation and in the nations. You're already having an impact. Because if you get these truths that I've been sharing in, in, sort of in the last few minutes, you can't keep it to yourself. It's just not how it works. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because there's no outflow. And see, and I'm just thinking of some of the things. How are you impacting the workplaces? How are you impacting some of you are successful business people? As you come here as an equip and, and you're being equipped, equipped on how to confront and how to love and how to let the gospel work in and through you. And there's many things like the pastors, the yearly, I think it's yearly, pastors from all over the nation that comes together and you, and you have a great impact in that and, you ch and, you, and, and then there's, there's equipping happening and encouraging happening for, for pastors right across this nation. Well done, King City Church. Because I can tell you, I don't know if you know this, some of you may be new, you know that you're not, you're not just sitting in a comfort zone. Although I've spoken about us needing to, 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 be, to be a people, a community that, that speak into each other's lives, it's going already beyond the impact you have in the Czech Republic, the impact you're having in Zambia, because we partners, yes, we're friends, but we're also partners. And Vesi, and you, through Vesi, being a friend of mine, a partner, has spoken into our lives and has changed some of the destiny of Gospel Central Church in Zambia because of you. You think I'm taking it too far? No, I'm not. I mean that. The impact you're having as you establish a spiritual community in Vic Falls, well done, King City Church. The community impacting where Chris and Norma works in the Matopos. The hosting teams that you so often host when they come from South Africa and work into the rest of this country. And see, for all of this to happen, you need more fathers, you need more leaders. And I believe this morning, uh, and I think you will be aware, as we are going to set aside a couple to, to be a father in the spiritual community of, of, of King City Church, an elder, a leader. And, then, and in some ways, in some ways I want to use the picture of marriage this morning when I speak about this couple. And if you don't mind, I can all this time bring up um, Kilton and uh, Adelaide, if they wouldn't mind joining me on the stage. Um, I'd really appreciate it. And, 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 and what I want to do this morning, I think this morning is an opportunity for you to say, woo! Now, what I do in Gospel Central Church is when we say we announce new elders. Yeah, they're laughing already. This is how it goes. I'm going to go one, two, three, and you're going to shout because you, this is, you look way too serious for me. So in Gospel Central, go like this. When we announce a new eldership couple, we say, woo, and we go ballistic. And if it doesn't, because I was a, what is a Rasi layer? What do you call it? A cheerleader. It's cool. You can imagine. So if it doesn't go well, I'm going to ask you to do it again. So do it right the first time. Okay? Is it okay? So we're going to go one, two, three, and we're going to go, yeah! Okay, one. Not a good idea. One, two, three. That's how you should feel when we bring a new eldership couple, a new leader into King City Church. Why should you be excited? Because you know that big things are yet to come. You know, you know, you should know that this couple represents your future. 
This corporate represents something that God is adding to this body and is yet going to add that you might not be even aware of. Because God is not caught by surprise. This is symbolic of things to come. This couple has been on leadership before. And it's not accidental that up to now they might not have been in leadership. It wasn't God's like, oh, that's surprising. Where were they? I nearly forgot them. No. But this is the time that God has called him like this. And, 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 and see, this morning I want to use this picture of marriage where two, it's almost like two imperfect bodies are coming together and are united and sort of coming in a sort of covenant relationship. And this morning I'm going to start by asking you this question. Is there any reason they shouldn't be elders or forever hold your peace? All okay? One, two, three, go. There we are. And see, like a marriage, this should not be taken lightly. This is no light affair. This is not like a, oh, well, we have a bit of extra time. Let's just go for this. See, like a, like a marriage, a husband or an elder is called to love the people. Give himself for the church as Jesus did. Like it's speaking about in Ephesians 5. But husbands giving themselves to the wife. Love the wives as Christ loved the church as he gave himself to them. And husbands or elders must, must, make, must, must, must have a passion to help you to grow into the fullness of Christ. To be, make them holy by cleansing them with the word. By speaking the word. Well done. Hearing God. It's the, the, the coming through the word and, and being able to, to teach the word to you. And he's a teacher. And an elder husband called to, to present her as a pure and spotless bride as he leads you. And see, wife, Jew, the church called to love and honor and obey your leaders. That's scriptural. We live in a world where we hear the word obey and leadership and submission. Because, ah, that is in the Bible. Don't have time to spend on that. Like a husband, elders can't quit when the going gets tough. This is not a, hey, let's try it out for a week or two, see how it's going. No, it's not at all like that. It's a huge thing. And of course, he, Jesus, is the bridegroom. But the picture is helpful. The church is very precious to Jesus. And see, Jesus said, I will build my church. Church is Christ's gift to the world. And elders are one of his gifts to the church. This is a gift to you. See, we need her to present Christ if she is to reveal His manifold wisdom. How we build church is seriously important. We can't get this wrong. Vesi and the leadership team and soon joining the leadership can't just say, ah, well, you know, we'll just see what how it works out. Try but here, try but there. It's serious stuff. They're going to be held accountable one day. We, 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 we're looking after another man's bride another man's wife that's why eldership is qualified by having a Christ-like character that's basically it. It, it, almost, it almost there's almost there's very little about the qualifications of one, one Timothy 3 you can go and read it that speaks about how good can he preach how tall is he he obviously dresses very cool um but speaking about character, that's why elders are qualified and they should be able to say as elders, follow me as I follow Christ. That's scary. 
They're not perfect. That's what we're talking about. 1 Peter 5 verse 2 says the following. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Speaking about them. Speaking about elders. Care for the flock God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not begrudgingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it. Definitely not. Yes, and we know this. Churches all over the world where leaders have unfortunately not read this verse. Not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, him, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And we know that Jesus is the shepherd, and we all sheep, all of us. I know you might not like that. You're all sheep. I'm a sheep, you're a sheep. But the elders are also under shepherds, representing the shepherd. And what we need to understand is that elders will give an account like a babysitter will do. Babysitter will do. It says in Hebrews 13 verse 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. That's what the scripture. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. This would certainly not be for whose benefit? Do you know that scripture? For whose benefit? Sorry? Your benefit. Not their benefit. Your benefit. See, they, as part of this eldership now, are accountable to each other as elders. Vesey is not the king of this team. He's not the boss of this team. He's the captain, the leader, the first among equals of this team giving guidance to this team. Not like this. And so they're accountable as an eldership team to a, an apostolic input in their lives, people from other churches, people from other places coming in and looking at blind spots of the church. So, so when you see people coming that you're walking as a church in partnership with, coming from other churches, you go, whoo, exciting times. You should say, oh, I feel so much better now. You should feel safe because they're accountable to those that, that they partner with that speak into the life of the church. Ac accountable to one another. But there's also a measure of accountability to you as a church. I'm going to say something about that just now. In 1 Timothy 5.20, it says, Elders whose sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. How's that for scary? It's like, sorry man, I didn't say that up front. You want to you have a chance to sit down whose sins should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. Well, that's the part that scares me. It's the part that made me say, when I see a leader fall, I don't go, stop, I can't believe he did it. Like, oh, Jesus, please help me. Oh, Jesus, let me see you in your, all your glory. Oh, help me, Lord. Mercy on me, please mercy on me, Lord. Your grace upon me, enable me, Lord, to walk in purity so that I can say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Elders is one who is mature, but they're still one of the people. They're still a saint. This is not an upgrade. They live among the people. They set the example and all things and speech and life and love and faith and purity. But they're also responsible for doctrine, discipline, and direction. So yes, it is important for them to sometimes say, oh, you know, I, I see that you want to read that book 
But I want to say to you that book's not helpful. Yeah, but Marnie, I, I will spit out the bones. Okay, do you know which ones are the bones? And they, and they, and they're responsible for direction where God is taking the church spiritually. Vision, what's God saying to the church? Discipline, church discipline. And they have a large God-given responsibility. Therefore, they need fresh anointing for the task. And that's why we're going to, that's why we call them to the front and that's why we're going to pray with them just now. Hence the, the sort of the laying off, laying on of hands as we're going to pray with them in a few seconds. And we're nearly done. Can I ask the elders, the current elders, maybe to come up and just stand around them and uh, we want to, we want to pray for them. Oh yeah, of course, the ladies as well, please. Sorry. So, like in a marriage, today we the church promise to love you. Oh, by the way, just so that you know at the end, you're going to have to say we do. So listen carefully, because you can't say something you do that you don't, didn't listen to. Today the church promise to love you, to honor you, to obey you, to support you, to pray for you, to walk and work alongside you in good times and bad times. We promise to make your lives a joy, not a burden. We recognize that we are equal before God. We choose to submit just as Christ chose to submit to the Father. And you say, we do. You do? Okay, let's try again. One, two, three. Thank you. You can late on tell Vessi, don't invite that guy back. Now it's Kilton and Adelaide. Today we, Kilton and Adelaide, promise to lay down our lives for you, to love you and lead you, to represent Christ to you, with our words and with our lives. To walk with you and work alongside you. To pray for you and with you. To watch over you and not to lord it over you. We promise to faithfully discharge the sacred duty to which Christ has called us to the glory of God. And this is where you need to say we do. Look, we do. <laughs> and what I what I'm going to do is this is our, I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna lay hands on them and pray with them a short prayer. And then I want a few of you to come in because this is where we do the you might kiss the bride part. <laughs> now can we keep it within biblical proportions, the kiss part, the holy kiss part I know it's in scripture. But maybe a few of you can run forward and give them a hug. And uh, if you're good friends with, with Adelaide, of course you can kiss her. Please, if you're men, don't kiss Kilton. 
Um, um, but maybe come and hug them, and that's the part where we're gonna we, we're gonna do that. Can we do that? Okay. So let's let's pray with them. Chris, all of you can join. I think it's great. Lord, thank you for this couple that you've raised up amongst us. We've seen their love for us. We've seen how they served us. We see how they how they cared about us over a long period of time. We've noticed their, their way of life. We've known, we've, we've seen their gifting. We've seen who and what they are. So we now anoint them, Lord. We bless them, Lord. We anoint them with more of your grace, Lord. We, we pray, Lord, that your enabling power will flow in them, through them, as they walk into a greater responsibility, a new role, a new function in your body. We pray, Lord, that you have raised them up for a prophetic moment like this, and that they will walk in the fullness of what you've called them to, with joy and passion, and they will walk in the strength of the Lord and not in their own strength. That you will clearly show them those things that you've called them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I now present to you Kilton and Adelaide Moyle. And, woo, and this is where... Okay, let's try that again. One, two, three. <laughs> Can a few of you come and hug them and give them a kiss, just sort of as a symbolic of, of, of this relationship? Welcome, please, a few of you. Can you come and hug them, guys that know them specifically well? Hug and kiss.